right, church, go ahead and be seated and take your Bibles, and let's go to First uh, John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. We're going to be covering uh, verses 17 uh, through the rest of chapter 4, and we'll get into a little bit of chapter 5 this morning as well. Up to this point, the emphasis has been on Christians loving one another. Today, we're going to turn to a deeper, even more important topic of love, and that is a believer's love for the Father. We cannot truly love our neighbor. We cannot truly love one another unless we first and foremost love the Father. So we must first love God with all of our being so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, the key word in this section of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning would be the word perfect. See, God wants to perfect in us His love for us and our love for Him. So the word perfect carries with it the idea of maturity or completeness. And think about how much God loves us. According to John 3.16, He loves us enough that He would send His only Son so that his son might die on our behalf. Also, in John chapter 17, we're told that the love that the father has for his son is the same love that he has for us. Not only that, Jesus goes on to say that the love that the father has for him, he wants that love to be in us as well. In fact, John chapter 17 Uh, Verse number uh, 26 says, And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. In other words, the, the Christian life is the daily experience of growing in the love of the Father. It can be easy if we're not careful uh, for us to begin to compartmentalize uh, the Christian life. It can be easy for us to to become preoccupied with individual pieces of the Christian life rather than the total picture. It gets played out like this. Uh, Some groups will emphasize holiness, and in their emphasis on holiness, they will be preoccupied with gaining victory over sin. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a a positive thing, right? But other groups might uh, be um, so... Uh, focus and intense on evangelism and and so they put all their efforts all their energy into witnessing to the lost world now there's nothing wrong with uh, victory over sin that is encouraged that's what we should be pursuing there's nothing wrong with evangelism and sharing the gospel with other people because that's what we should be doing the problem becomes when we begin to overemphasize one element versus another When in reality, victory over sin and evangelism, they are the byproduct of something deeper, something greater. They're the byproduct of a believer's love for the Father. And if we truly love the Father, then these are the things that we would pursue in our lives. Mature Christian love is the great universal need among all children of God. So this morning... We want to consider how can a believer know that the love that they have for the Father is being perfected in their life? How can we know? How can we know 
that God's love is truly being perfected in us. Well, thankfully, in the section that we're going to look at this morning, uh, John gives us four evidences, four key evidences that the love of the Father is being perfected in our lives. And so the very first one is that of having confidence. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 17, it says, By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. When I read that, I can't help but to notice that it is possible for a believer to live in fear. And and that ought not be so. Now, we have adopted the Greek word that's used here for fear into our English vocabulary today, and we use the word phobia. Phobia. That's what he's being talked about. So in psychology books today, there are all kinds of phobias that are listed that individuals might have. There's acrophobia. It's the fear of heights. Don't know if that applies to anyone in here. There's hydrophobia, which would be the fear of water. There's nomophobia. I don't know if you've heard of this one or not. Uh, Nomophobia is the fear of uh, forgetting your phone or being lost, left without your phone. Nomophobia. A legitimate fear. I'm not making these up. There is, somebody can identify with this fear. There's there's chorophobia. Uh, that is the fear of clowns. Anyone? Fear of clowns in this room? All right, bear with me on this next one. There is hippopotamonstrosioquipaleophobia. Hippopotamonstrosioquipaleophobia. I'm not making this word up. That is the fear of long words. <laughs> Legitimately. It's the longest word in the dictionary as well. 36 letters. There are all kinds of fears that people have. In the context of John's writing, may you know that he's not talking about fear of long words. He's not talking about fear of clowns. He's not talking about the fear of heights. He's not talking about the fear of water. What John is addressing is what we would call crisis phobia. Uh, Crisis phobia would be the fear of judgment. And John has already mentioned this truth back in chapter 2. In fact, look in chapter 2. He's already talked about it once. He's going to address it again. In chapter 2, verse number 28, he says, Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So so, so John is talking about the fear of, of judgment, the fear of the second coming of Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse number 18 is often thought to be confusing because it's being taken out of context, suggesting that fear and love cannot grow together. I would argue that that uh, perfect love and proper fear should be growing together. After all, we've already been, been commanded to both fear the Lord and to love the Lord. So, so there's a proper fear and a perfect love that we should have in our lives. 
In fact, uh, this is given to us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and judgments with the, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your sons and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. And so Deuteronomy 6 Verse 2 commands us that we ought to have this proper fear of the Lord. But then, in just a few verses later, in verse number 5, it says that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And so I want us to understand what John is saying back in chapter 4. John is telling us that love specifically casts out the fear of rejection or the fear of condemnation at the second coming, or the judgment of Jesus Christ. That's why he says in verse number 17, by this, love is perfected with us, so that we can have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. You know that you cannot know that someone completely loves you while simultaneously also fearing that they're going to reject you. When you fear that someone is going to reject you, then you fear that that person's love is not complete. And so having just affirmed that God's perfected love for us, John now tells us that this love drives out the fear of condemnation. Therefore, whoever fears rejection or or condemnation at the coming of our lord has yet to been has yet to be brought into the fullness of knowing and experiencing the love of the father in verse 16 he says we have come to know and have believed the love which has which god has for us and god is love the one who abides in love abides in god and god abides in him Typically, if people are afraid, it's usually because of something in their past that haunts them. It might be something in the present that upsets them. Or it could be something in the future that threatens them. So so if people are afraid, typically it's something in the past that haunts them something in the present that upsets them or something in the future that, that, that threatens them. It could be one of them or it could be a combination of all three of those things. But for the child of God, the, the, we have no need to fear anything from our past, anything in the present, or anything that will happen in the future. We, we need not fear any of this because we've experienced the love of God And his love is being perfected in us on a day-by-day basis. And so God wants his children to live in an atmosphere of love and and confidence rather than living in an atmosphere of of fear and distrust. And so we need not fear. We need not fear life. We need not fear death. Because we're being perfected in the love of the Father. And this is what Paul addresses himself. Paul beautifully talks about it in Romans chapter 8. 
Verse number 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Then he goes on in verse number 37, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Imagine nothing in all of creation from the past and the present or in the future. Nothing from all of creation can separate us, can come between us and the love of the Father. The perfecting of God's love in our life is usually a matter of several stages as well. Think about it this way. When, when someone is, is lost or, or before salvation, right, when they're living in, in sin, separated from God, well, well, when they're lost, you, you live with fear. Fear of not knowing the love of God. Fear of uh, not experiencing the love from the Father. But when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, then, then immediately there, there becomes this perplexing mixture of, of an unhealthy fear and, and a non-fully developed love for the Father. But as you grow in Christ-like maturity, as you grow in your, your fellowship with the Father and your communion with Him, then that, that unhealthy fear begins to subside and, and your heart begins to fully trust and to, to depend upon the love of the Father. So an immature believer is someone who is tossed back and forth between this unhealthy fear and love, whereas a mature believer in Christ rests in the love of the Father. So may you know that a growing confidence in the presence of God is one of the first evidences that our love for God is being perfected in us. But confidence in and of itself never remains by itself. Confidence always leads to more. So confidence is our, our, our first key indicator. Our second one would be that of honesty. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now we've already seen this phrase, if someone says, several times in, in John's writing. And, and each time that we've seen it, we know what's coming next. It's going to be a warning against pretending. And so fear and pretense seem to go together. In fact, I would argue that fear and pretense were born together in the garden when Adam and Eve first sinned. Think about it. No sooner did Adam and Eve sense their guilt than they tried to hide from God and cover their nakedness. But neither their coverings nor their attempted hiding, nor their excuses that they manufactured were able to keep them from the all-seeing eye of the Father. Ultimately, Adam has to confess in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 10, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. 
You see, when our hearts are confident towards God, then there's no need for us to pretend. We have no need to try to hide from Him as though we could. We have no need to to hide not just from Him or, or to pretend for Him, but we have no need to hide from others or to pretend in front of others. A believer who lacks confidence with God will also lack confidence with God's people. And part of the torments that fear generates, it's the constant worrying of how much do other people really know about me. But when we have confidence with God, then this fear is gone. And we can face both God and others without fear. Living a a hypocritical life is a dangerous thing to do. And unfortunately, it seems to be something that's, that characterizes a lot of the people in church today. We, we live in, a, in an interesting time with COVID-19 and how people respond to it. Now we gather together and um, strongly encourage to, to wear masks and, and stuff like that in, in public. And so now we have this interesting dilemma that uh, for decades... Uh, believers have been wearing their invisible masks to church. And now they're double masked between the invisible mask and the physical mask. While we would encourage you to keep the physical mask in place, we would also encourage you to eliminate the invisible mask that we tend to hide behind. When we tend to pretend that we're something that we're really not. Like I said, living that hypocritical life is a dangerous thing to do. If you want to see a story in Scripture, you need to look no further than the story of Ananias and Sapphira that's contained within Acts chapter 5. If you're not familiar with that story, I'd encourage you to read Acts chapter 5 at some point today. Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sell a piece of property, and they bring a portion of the proceeds from that sale, and they present it to the Lord. But in doing so, they give the appearance that they were bringing all of the money before the Lord, not just a portion of the money to the Lord. Now, the sin of the couple was not in how much they gave, nor was it in how much they withheld. Peter makes it clear that the disposal of their money was up to their discretion. That's Acts chapter 5, verse number 4. It was up to them to decide, for them to determine Their sin was that of pride and hypocrisy. They were trying to to make people think that they were more generous or more spiritual than they actually were. And their sin ultimately resulted in their death. I want to tell you that pretending is is a favorite activity among little children, but it's certainly not a mark of maturity within adults. Like when little kids pretend, it's fun. Canaan loves to pretend every day. Every day. And we live in this world of imagination sometimes. Uh, today I thought he was a cat. But come to find out, he's not a cat. Canaan is a black jackal today. And that, that's what he wants to be. So that's his imagination. He's a black jackal. He happens to have fiery eyes today. 
Some mornings he's Chase and I have to be Rubble and, 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 and Casey has to be Sky. Other days he's a dog. He's, he's a, a superhero. I mean, living in that world of imagination at the age of five is, is something that's fun, and we encourage that imagination because it helps to develop his brain and, and creativity. But I'm telling you, it's not very fun if, if the pastor walks into the office on Monday and in staff meeting wants to speak cat. Meow, meow, meow. If I were to conduct staff meeting as a cat, that would not be a mark of maturity. It would be highly just weird. As children of God, our lives must be marked with honesty and integrity. And while we laugh at the idea of me carrying out the day as a cat, maybe it's not so obvious as acting like a cat. Maybe it's the more subtle things that we do where we pretend that we're something that we're really not. And that's just as damaging to our testimony. And it's just as discouraging, problematic, as just outright living in a world of fantasy. When I read through verses 20 and 21, I can't help but to notice that it also makes a strong point against isolationism. Those that try to just separate themselves from from other believers and even from the church should know that you cannot demonstrate our love for God while being hidden away by ourselves, concerned with only ourselves and God. To love God, we must also care for His people. Therefore, it's completely ridiculous to claim that we love the Father while we refuse to faithfully assemble with His people. The Bible knows nothing about the just Jesus and me movement that seems to be so prevalent today. We must engage with the people of God so that we can properly care for them and to demonstrate our love for the Father. And so already we see that confidence towards God and honesty with one another are two marks of maturity that are bound to show up when our love for the Father is being perfected in us. But there's more. Number three, uh, the third thing would be joyful obedience. Chapter 5 begins and it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the children born of Him. By this we know uh, that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. There's that key phrase, that last one that I just read. His commandments are not burdensome. This section is not simply just talking about obedience to the Word and to the will of the Father. It's specifically talking about joyful obedience to the Word of God and the will of the Father. Out of all of creation, it is mankind that struggles the most in their obedience to God. You can read through the book of Jonah 
and read it and you'll see that the winds and the waves and even a, a large giant fish obey the commands of the Father while the prophet is on the run consistently disobeying the Father. I mean, there, there's even a, a little plant and a little worm that obey God's commands and yet the prophet reluctantly agrees and stubbornly carries out what God commands him to do all the while wanting his own will to be accomplished. And so it is clear, and I don't think anybody would disagree, that disobedience to the word of God and to the will of the Father is a complete tragedy in the life of believers. Disobedience is tragedy. But not only is outright disobedience a tragedy, so is reluctant, half-hearted, or unenthusiastic obedience. They're both tragic. And having just said in verse number two that our love for God and our obedience to his command are elements of our loving one another, John makes it clear that these two elements are actually one. They're connected. To love God is to obey God. So proper affection for God will lead to proper obedience to God. Where there is no obedience to God, there is no love for the Father, no matter what an individual might say. And this isn't something new. This is something that Jesus has already spoken to us. Jesus declares it himself. John chapter 14, verse number 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He goes on to say in verse number 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So just so that we're clear, the point is this, perfecting love in our lives produces joyful obedience to the word of God and to the will of the Father. And then finally, the fourth element, if you will, is that of victory. Verse 4 and 5 of chapter 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the victory that's being spoken about in this context would seem to be the love for God through faith, which joyfully embraces God's command. And that's the victory that's being mentioned here. This isn't some triumphalism that says that we'll be uh, successful in everything that we do in accordance to the world's opinion or, or, or the world's point of view. No, rather, this is talking about uh, having victory and overcoming the temptations of this world. We can have victory in overcoming the temptations of this world by trusting that God's commands are both good and right. And so when you truly believe that God's commands are both good and right, then we'll joyfully obey them no matter what our flesh would want to do. No matter what that old nature in us kind of 
tugs and pulls at us to, to do. May you never forget that if you are a child of God, that you've been born of God. When that means that his divine nature now resides within you. And, and so there's two natures that are going on at war within each of his children. That old nature hasn't been fully eradicated and completely removed. We have a tendency to fall back or to lean into that old nature. But, but we've been born of God. And so we've received his divine nature. And when you walk in obedience to the divine nature, then you do the things that are right and good. But when you ignore the divine nature and get swayed back into that old nature, that's when you get caught up in sin and destruction. If the old nature is in control of us, then it leads to disobedience to God. If the new nature is in control, then it leads to obedience to Him. And the, the world, the adversary, appeals to the old nature. That's what John addresses in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The world addresses the old nature and, and it tries to, to make it appear that God's commandments are impossible to achieve or that they're burdensome to take on. But our victory is a result of faith. And as we grow in faith, we grow in love. Faith is not simply saying what God says is true. True faith is acting on what God says because it is true. Someone has very wisely said that faith is not so much believing in spite of the evidence, but true faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. So let me just kind of like condense it all down and to paraphrase what John has just spoken to us. He's saying, as children of God who have been born of God, you don't have to walk around this world all, all defeated and deflated. And pick your heads up. The victory has already been accomplished in and through Jesus Christ. And his victory is our victory. We get to share in the victory of our Lord. So, so there's nothing that's happened in the past, nothing that can happen today, and nothing that can happen in the future that can ever separate us from the love of the Father. So, so know that, love that, embrace that. And, and then live a life of faithful commitment to be obedient to the Word of God and to His will for your life. And there need not be afraid. It doesn't mean that you can uh, change the course of history. It doesn't mean that you can alter what I'm trying to say. When you're not afraid, then you're going to be obedient to his word and you don't give consideration to the consequences of following his word. You know God's word tells us to do something, so you just do it. And that's all that we need. Can it be any more clear in our world today that what this world needs is for Christians to be loving one another and to be loving the lost and the lonely in this world? I mean, the love that, the God, that God has for his son is the love that he wants to, to put into us and to show through us. So God loves his son so much that he gave his son as a sacrifice of his love for us. He allowed his son to die. His only son. 
And the scripture tells us that the love that he has for his son is the same love that he holds for his children. And this isn't supposed to be just a self-satisfying love that we hold on for ourselves. We, in turn, are supposed to demonstrate that love to other people, to all people. And that's what we need to embrace. God's word tells us to love, to serve, to speak truth, not to be afraid, not to live in fear of condemnation and judgment, but to walk in obedience to the word of God. When you walk in obedience to the word of God, it doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that difficult trials and, and tribulations aren't going to be faced. In fact, I would argue the more that you're walking in accordance of the world, the more likely it is that you're going to find obstacles and tragedies and, and, and turmoil in your life. Because the enemy is threatened by that. The enemy takes notice of that. The enemy will most likely put it all out of salt so that you will be quiet and that you will be still and that you'll no longer pursue what God's word calls us to do. So be not afraid. The victory that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross is our victory today. Nothing in this world should discourage or frustrate us from being faithful to what God's called us to do. No matter what people may say, no matter what pandemic we may face, as God's children, we're to love one another and we're to serve one another. And there's no excuse not to love one another. And there's no excuse not to serve one another. As long as we live, then we must faithfully be the children of God who love one another, who serve one another, so that God can be honored and that he can be glorified in and through the lives of his children. Now it's going to take us a few weeks to get through the rest of chapter 5. We'll stop here. And as we stop, I want you to consider what is the one decision that you can make in your life today that would have the greatest impact on your faith or on your walk with Jesus? What's the one decision? Is it a sin to confess? A commitment to make? What's the one thing that you could do? The one thing that you could decide? Will you be willing enough to follow through on that decision? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and for this church, for your word. God, help us to love others the way that you have loved us. Help us to truly understand your great love being perfected in our hearts and lives. And God, may you stir within us an unquenchable desire to tell other people about your love, to demonstrate it in how we live and how we speak. Father, for this church, I give you thanks. For whatever lies ahead for us this week, I pray that we will be encouraged each and every day, that we will be committed to honor and to glorify you in all that we do and all that we say, and that we would look for every opportunity that we can so that we can share your love with other people. Father, I pray that peace would reign throughout our nation. God, I pray that the church would stop being silent. It would start speaking up in love 
truth with a whole lot of grace. God, help us to trust you in all that we do. In Christ's name I pray.